are you? I'm doing great. What, what, I mean, I know you've been doing some columns for, uh, I've read a good bit of your stuff as of late from limeohio.com. Uh, I really enjoyed the article and I'm not sure what the date on it was, but you were kind of, I think you were in a bad dream and you were, uh, writing about possible scenarios in the future, which to me, I don't think <laughs> we're all that those were all too far fetched. Yeah. Yeah, well, I started writing that column the year I retired. Uh, Jim Crummels, the editor of the Lima News, asked me if I would write one at the start of the season, and it went pretty well, and he asked me to write another. And for the last 10 years, I've been writing a column almost every week during the basketball season. I think I've done over 125 now. But it's it's a popular column in this area, and I enjoy writing it. It, it helps me keep my foot in the game. I like it. Is it hard to believe that you've been out nearly a decade now? Yeah, it really is. We're actually making plans to honor that 2010 team, the last team I coached that won the state championship during uh, before one of our bigger games at home. And I'm just thinking, wait a minute, <laughs> 10 years ago, that it just the time really does fly. Now, Coach, how much do you get around to see games in your local area? Probably not as much as I thought I would. Um, I, I still see – I try to see a lot of Lima Central Catholics home games. So I don't get to all of them. Uh, and if there's a big game in the area, I try to go to – obviously, in the tournament time, I'll start going to some of the better district games, things like that. But uh, – I, you know, and I, I try to keep my foot in it, but I, you know, I'm chasing six grandkids around in Columbus, so I'm down there a lot. And I also uh, do home games on the radio for the University of Northwest Ohio, uh, and so sometimes that, you know, crowds the schedule. But I still enjoy watching high school basketball. Now it took you 32 years, and you win um, your very last game, which was on the biggest stage at the Schottenstein Center, you win the state championship in 2010. Is it hard to believe that since you've retired, Lima Central Catholic won two state championships in three years? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, when, when I when I stepped down, my assistant, Frank Kill, uh, took over the program, and I, I knew he would do a great job. And I also knew that we were pretty loaded all the way down through like our fifth or sixth grade. You could see it coming. And uh, Frank just did a great job with it. And uh, he just had some powerful teams. They were, they were fun to watch and uh, really proud of him and what he's done with, you know, continued with the program. And if you are not familiar with Coach Frank Kill, he is uh, one of the better dressers in the state of Ohio on the uh, sidelines. Uh, and he got to he got to feature that against another good dresser uh, in Babe Kwasniak over at Cleveland St. Joe's in several uh, state championship games in a row there. I think it was, what, three three in a row they played in the state yeah, finals? They played, they played three times in a row, and, you know, they're great friends. They right. They're very good friends. And uh, they they uh, I think they've gone to each other's practices before. And uh, uh, Frank Kill had a heart problem that had to be worked on up at uh, Cleveland Clinic. And uh, while he was up there, I think that friendship even cemented more because I mean, Coach Kwasiak was uh, – there with him a lot of that time. So 
running through some of your your um, bio here before we get into this, um, you were head coach thirty two seasons, I believe. What was your your first year? Was seventy eight, seventy nine? Correct. Correct. Okay, so your first year is seventy eight, seventy nine. Um, you do advance to the state tournament um, on six different occasions. Uh, making the state finals three times, three out of six? Correct. Okay, so three out of the six. You won 20 sectional titles, nine districts, six regionals. Um, You coached the 1993 North-South game. You're a Bob Arnzen Award winner, which is probably – was probably a big deal for you because Delphi St. John's is is one of your bigger rivals, correct? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Delta St. John's and LCC have been going at it for a long time. And uh, the head coach of Delta for many, many years was a legendary coach by the name of Bob Arnson. And he, in effect, was a mentor to probably every coach in this area for a number of years. So that uh, that game carries a special significance. And uh, to get that award in his his name, I I was honored to do that. It felt, felt wonderful. Well, the interesting thing here, you you were a uh, 1966 grad of LCC, so uh, you get to coach at your alma mater. Um, you spent some time at St. Joseph's College there in Indiana. Um, it, did you, you played a little hoop there, correct? I did. I had a scholarship there out of out of uh, high school. It would be considered, I think, a Division II, a strong Division II program at that time. The league was really good. ICC consisted of uh, Evansville, Ball State, Butler, Valparaiso, uh, Indiana State, DePaul with an L, and St. Joe. So it was a really strong league, strong competition. And I, I had a great, uh, great experience there working Jim Holstein, who last year was inducted into the Ohio High School, or the Ohio basketball hall of fame which is you know really a prestigious thing and uh still have great friends from that experience well coach you you won 500 plus games and one thing that i found interesting uh i was doing a a little bit of research and is this is this true that you played your first 27 seasons as head coach at lcc without a home court yeah lima central catholic did not have a gym that was suitable for uh, home games. The girls played there, had a heck of a record. And uh, so we used oftentimes the Lima Senior High Gymnasium, but we used some of the other gyms at different times. The Lida we used sometimes, Shawnee and Bath, we used at different occasions. But uh, Lima Senior High Gymnasium was basically our home. And we got a, a practice on Wednesday nights, usually during that time. And uh, and so, yeah, until we got our, our gym, and I think it was 2004, we felt like we were on the road a lot. But it didn't. It really didn't bother me that much. I thought it made our teams a lot tougher. You know, we just weren't – we didn't bother with, you know, things like that. But it was nice to finally get a home court. It's a beautiful gymnasium. Yeah, and, the, I mean, the crazy thing is you guys always played a, a very daunting schedule too, um, and obviously that gives you a – upper hand when you're you're really battling in different environments all the time when you're thinking down the road for the tournament so from 1978-79 season when you start 
uh, until the first state tournament team there in 88, 89. What, what was basketball like at LCC uh, in between that time when you took over up until that first run there in 88, 89? Well, the, the basketball in Lima is strong. And the basketball in the Catholic parochial system has always had a great tradition uh, for many years, St. Rose High School, and there was two other small Catholic high schools. They played basketball, and they did pretty well. St. Rose was at state a couple of times in their days, and in the 50s it consolidated. And there was always a strong basketball tradition there. The year I took over, they'd been down for several years, but I got it at the right time. We, we had an influx of talent through the 80s. We didn't get to state till 89, but we made it to the regionals two or three times in that stretch. We were always very strong, a lot of great players. So we had great basketball teams through the 80s. We just couldn't get through that regional door. And finally, in 88, 89, I had a terrific group. And uh, we finally got through to the state, which was, you know, the first time. And the first time you do anything is just a great experience. And I can still remember that year. It was it was a, it was a lot of fun for my listeners out there in between when you took over and up until that first run there in 88, 89, who, who were the teams that were kind of shutting the door on you and en route to trying to get to Columbus? Well, that never changed from the first year to the last year. You had to go through Otto Glandorf and Otto Glandorf had to go through LCC. I mean, that was just almost a, uh, a yearly event. It seemed like every time that, uh, you know, they were the teams that were black. There were some good teams in, in, in later years. Uh, Liberty Benton had some really great ball clubs. You had to get through them. But we, a lot, we always felt Wayne Trace had some great ball clubs. Archibald had some great golf ball clubs. But mostly those teams were in the districts. And so a lot of us felt that if we could just get through our district, that we could make it to state and uh, it was so there, but if I had to name one team, it's OG and OG had to name one team. It'd be. Yeah. If you're, if you're not familiar with that part of the state, a lot of times um, even now um, getting out of the district um, I know in years, it was at Elida and places like that, but getting out of the district, a lot of times uh, whether it was for you guys or OG uh, whoever it may have been, Liberty Benton, is a lot of times it was more difficult to get out of the district than it was to get out of the region. No, that's exactly that's exactly right. And uh, that uh, when they had those uh, district finals at Elida Fieldhouse, which is a great you know it's a great venue, thirty two hundred seats, you couldn't you couldn't get another person in there with a shoehorn, and uh, the the structure was the acoustics were such that you couldn't even hear yourself think you'd have to have hand signals even at timeouts because are you you know use the chalkboard or the board because it would just be so loud it was a great venue for basketball so you're you're obviously have coached other sports cross-country tennis football um so you get to the state in 88 89 with I know this is a spe- – obviously, they, they were the first group to get you to um, St. John Arena, and they obviously hold a special place in your heart. But th- this team was not like a, a team full of um, of basketball guys. A lot of these guys, their main sport was another sport. Well, that that's true. Um, but, but I had three seniors on that team that were 
great leaders. Uh, they were they were just uh, and and by the time the season, you know, the, the late in the season rolled around, they were basketball ready. A lot of our teams that I coached over the years um, did not have great December's because uh, our football team would be in the playoffs and, and we just had athletes who ran cross country and other sports. And, and it just takes those guys time to kind of get there. It, it took a lot of patience and uh, we, we really focused a lot on the end of the year and trying to come to a boil late. And it was interesting because uh, um, we were not for most of my career. And even to this day, we were not in a league. So we were playing a lot of Saturday and Tuesday night games. We didn't have to worry about peaking early to win games in the league, to win the league conference. So we could really focus on the end of the year. And so the athletes we were getting that kind of fit, fit the mold because every great team I had started at least two or three football players and had some coming off the bench. And I got used to that. And we kind of figured out how to do that. So the key was just trying to bring them to a boil late because we didn't have a a league to crown to shoot for, we shot for the tournament. That was where our eyes were focused. I don't know why it was, but it just seems like every year you guys came, a lot of seasons you had 23 wins. Just always jumps out my mind. And I'm looking here, in, in 89, you guys get through um, Van was it Van Buren yeah. uh, in the regional semis, and then you beat uh, – uh, Coach Corda cracks there in the uh, Kaleida in the regional finals, but you get to the state um, and you, you know, kind of run away with it here against Berlin Center Western Reserve. Did, was there any, I mean, yeah, there's going to be nerves, big stage uh, in front of 12 plus thousand. Did you get a sense though, that your team was ready and dialed in for that game? Yeah, I, that, that team most of the teams that I had, now, when you get to state, you got to be dialed in. I mean, we didn't overwhelm people with like a, a ton of Division One talent, although we had some of that. Uh, but our teams were pretty focused. We were always a tough out, and we and we we got down there in 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 that year. I don't think we were overly um, pressured in that game at all. I mean, we were going against a kind of a dynasty at that time in Columbus Whirly, you know, a great program that had won a number of state championships. And we were in that game right, right down to the end. And uh, we just, I always blame myself. Uh, we had an out-of-bounds play. We were down too late. And I tried, I called a play for a three-point shot out of the sideline out-of-bounds play. Well, they anticipated kid stole it, went down and scored. And suddenly we were down five under a minute and, couldn't quite get over the hump in that game but it was a great game and the thing I remember most about that game Kurt was we lost the game but our Lima came down for that game we filled that place and uh, even though Worley it was in Columbus they didn't have a big crowd but the rest of the crowd was from LCC and when we lost that game when that buzzer went off our fans stood up and gave us a uh, a great ovation it, it kind of lessened the pain and uh, I remember that there was a plain dealer wrote, reporter wrote the, night, the next day in the paper that it was as if LCC had won the game. But it was our first time down there. So it was just such, you know what that's like for right. communities. It was just over the top. But 
we, we played hard. We just didn't, just didn't have enough in the last minute. You know, they made some free throws. Our scouting report on them was to foul them, put them on the line. We did. I think they made like eight of their last nine free throws, and that was a difference. Yeah, it, you mentioned Columbus Worley, the team that beat you in the finals that year, 83-81. But in the semis, Worley beat a team that you would see a year later, Springfield uh, Catholic Central Worley beat them 49-44. You would, uh, you would see them in the regional final a year later. Um, but the game with Worley, question I had for you, since it, this was far before the social media era, internet, all those things, how much did you know about where, I mean, you, people knew Worley, but how much did you know about the program Worley in itself heading into that state tournament? Well, I, I knew, I knew their coach was a great coach with a great record. I knew that they had just dominating talent and, you know, I've been to state myself, you know, you go down to state, I've seen this team's play. And, uh, um, so I and I had some scouting reports on them, and uh, so I felt like I really had a pretty good grasp of what they were going to do. We felt really prepared for them, and we were actually ahead, I think, at one and a half time. And I felt like if we could just keep what I told the kids is that if we could just keep this game close in the last minute, we felt like we could win because they were not good free throw shooters. Well, you know, <laughs> the best laid plans, uh, they had a couple of kids who just went to the free throw line and and made their free throws. And interesting thing was that summer I went, I, you know, I was a coach at five star, which was a, a very, a great camp in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And, uh, it's a select camp. And two of the kids I had on my team that summer were teams from Worley, kids from Worley that had, that had beat us that, that year. And I got to know those two pretty well. So when that game ends, you're not, um, old in your career at this point, what what was your feelings after that game? I mean, you know how hard you, you know how hard it is to get down to the state tournament. When you left the court that day at St. John Arena, was there a, a sense that we got to get back here and eventually get this done? Yeah, what, that, that, I think that's the that's the mindset. I think that, that was the mindset of our kids too. And we came within one game of coming back, even though we lost three good seniors and I had suspended. Our, our best player uh, before the season even started. He didn't play that year, so we had to really re we had to reload that next year. And we just kind of did not have a great regular season. But what happened a lot for us is that our records were deceiving, and we got into our tournament. We were playing teams that weren't as good as a lot of the teams that we played during the regular season. We just got hot, had a chance to win that regional final, but Springfield Catholic made a a long three-point shot basically at the buzzer to beat us. We thought we defended it really well and to force them into the, a, a, what I thought was a tough shot, but kid drained it, got to give them credit. So you end up getting beat by Springfield Central Catholic there, like you said, another heartbreaking fashion. Now, for those of you guys out there that don't know, Co Coach Searson lost, and I, I – Apologize for bringing this up, but that's all right. You you lost five games at the state tournament by a total of eight points. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if if like in a regular season losing you know five uh, five games by eight points would be incredible, but 
the fact that you were that close so many times, what, when you think about St. John arena, because this all, all, all of the heartache took place in St. John arena. What do you remember most about the old barn? Well, I, I know that I loved, I loved that place. I really liked playing in St. John arena. I wrote a column on this. I, I think the thing I liked the most about it, it kind of had like a high school atmosphere because the, right. the, the bleachers near the seats and you had bleachers underneath each basket. And then you had, it was almost like a high school uh, feeling. And then the seats went straight up in there. A marvelous <clears throat> architecture, you know, a memorable architecture. And I just remember as a young coach going to games and, watching people that, you know, watching coaches and thinking, God, I just would love to coach down there. I just hope someday I could do it. And when I finally got a chance to do it, it was just a thrill. But then, you know, you get, you, you want to win the thing. And, 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 you know, the other tough part about that, Kurt, is that when you're a coach, one of the things you, you, you can't win and lose games and, you know, players do most of that. But when you're in a close game late, you know, that's a coach's game, too. You know, you, you, you got to figure that, you know, the coach has got to insert himself and make a difference in close games. Well, you know, we were losing all these close games down there at State, and you're losing in front of, uh, of the other high school coaches in the state that are all sitting there watching your coach. And so it, it was really tough. It was, it was hard. But we would just – I used to have a theory with my kids that they had to get in the box when they played and just think about what – what's next, not worrying about what, what happened, you know, what are you going to do next? What, you know, whether it was a good or bad play previously, you got to get on to what's next. So I just adopted that philosophy myself. And when we got beat down there, I just said, okay, what's next? We'll try to get back down here. And uh, we were able to do it six times, which I think is, you know, a great accomplishment. And uh, I know a lot of great coaches that really never got down there. Coaches who are better than I. And uh, I suppose a few coaches who were mediocre snuck one in once in a while, but it, it, <laughs> it, it was uh, it was it wasn't like a, a burden. I never never allowed myself to be, you know, oh woe is me, or you know, am I snake bit, or you know, I I I, I just didn't. I never felt that way. I was always proud of my teams because we were a tough out we didn't lay any eggs down there. I mean, we played hard and uh, we were in games. We just didn't get the break at the end or, you know, things just didn't go, go our way at the end until that last year. Well, and that's the thing, you know, you mentioned the coaches, all of your, you know, brethren around the state, high school coaches, um, a lot of times, and even the fans, the only time that they see uh, you guys, if they're not from that area is at the state tournament. So they, they haven't seen you, uh, win the one-point game or the two-point game or the double overtime game in the regional and the district. Uh, they, they see what you do on the biggest stage there is. And every coach in that stand would want to be in your position uh, as many times as you were, were blessed and fortunate to do so. And I can remember 1992, uh, you guys got back to the state tournament and Ironically, that year, um, the team that ended up knocking you out, Berlin Highland, I saw them, and I want to say it was the district tournament um, at Bysville Meadowbrook. I mean, you could not even breathe in that place. There were so many people. Uh, they were playing a team called Lakeland, uh, which is now defunct. It's a part of another school. 
And Lakeland came out in that game and just, I mean, they were, looked like they were going to blow Highland out of the gym. And you're very familiar with Highland and they started racking in the threes and um, junior Raber ended up taking the game over and they end up winning and they end up making it to the state. But you've, you've got these guys um, all but dead in, in the water. Um, Perry Reese, uh, the now the late Perry Reese um, coached Hawks team. And I remember talking to guys um, about this game and they, they would, they came down to, and if you're not familiar with, there used to be a, a holiday in, if you're a little bit younger down sure. at the state tournament. And, you know, that's where all the games were won and lost down at, down at the yeah. holiday in. No, right. Nobody ever, nobody ever lost a game at the holiday in. And I remember guys coming in, the, um, talking about coming down to the holiday in and, you know, the, I'm sure it was a, it was a somewhat, uh, uh, pro, uh, Highland crowd per se and they were coming down and um, talking about how you guys had advanced and then somebody came in a little bit later and said that that uh, Highland won the game and people were like there is no way that Highland won that game where were they down seven was it seven seven points with 35 seconds left on the clock and uh, crazy stuff happened we scored a basket to go up by seven and i call the timeout now why i call that timeout i don't know yeah later on there would be a story written in reader's digest and let's say said the lcc coach wanted to dot his eyes and cross his t's i became a villain <laughs> and, uh, and you know, looking back and and then uh, you know they just chipped away at it and uh, we had a we missed some several huge one and ones down the stretch and we made some mistakes and then the last play of the game was uh, uh, J.R. Reber, who was a great player. He took a shot from about two feet beyond half court, the other side of half court. And he, and we, I thought the game was over, and so did everybody else. But so and the trailing official called a foul. And so they were only down one point at that time. And Junior Raber made all three free throws. So we lost the game. But what happened was not only did people go over to the um, to the to the hotel across the street to Holiday Inn, all our fans left when I called the timeout, because in those days to get a ticket for the next game, you had to run over to the right. To the thing. So all our people were standing in line trying to because they figured that they'd get the better seat if they, you know if they were first in line. We didn't have any fans left in the state. We almost none of our people were left on our stands when the game over. So our fans are all waiting in line to get tickets. And all of a sudden here comes this rush of, of fans from Berlin and our fans are going, what are you doing? They said, you got beat. So that was a really, a t- you know, that was, that was, that was hard because, you know, you, you blow a lead like that. And uh, you know, that people, a lot of people called, talked about that call at the end of the game. I, that didn't bother me. We made enough mistakes on our own. Now, I'll tell you a funny story, Kurt. When that season was over, in the springtime, I always liked to go to a clinic. And I picked a clinic in northern Michigan because I wanted to get as far away from <laughs> Ohio as I could. There was, a, there was a famous coach called Don Meyer, who was a kind of a legendary uh, clinician. Uh, he was only a Division two or three coach, but yeah. a lot of major people, very, very popular. He did a one-man 
clinic for two days up in northern Michigan. I said, well, that's where I'm going. I'm going as far away from here as I can get. So the first I get there Friday night, I'm sitting on the top deck of a high school, top row of a high school bleacher. Don't know anybody. I'm comfortable. Don Meyer gets up, and the first thing he says is, introduces himself, and he says, hey, did you about this game in Ohio (laughs) where where a a, a team was ahead by seven points with 35, and they lost that game? And he said, how would you like to be, you know, wouldn't that be great to be in a situation like that? But then he said, how would you like to be that coach? How would you like to have to face that music? And I'm sitting up there, and I'm like going, you got to be kidding me. I came all the way up here. <laughs> so at the break, I went down, and I introduced myself to him. And he's a really nice guy. And uh, I said, hey, I want to tell you something. Well, let me, let me tell you. <laughs> I said, I'm the guy. He goes, what? And I said, yeah, that was me. And he, he couldn't have been nicer. In fact, he, we, we actually got to know each other pretty well over that weekend. But so you can't you can't get away from it. You got to live with it. I've been living with it for the last. People still talk about that game, and uh, and you know I remember going back and my my poor team. You know they were just crushed, and but you know we came back two more years. Now we didn't win it, and we lost by crazy ways again. But we you know we didn't it didn't become part of our mantra to make excuses or to you know wail or bitch and moan we just tried to come back and do it again and we did well that's what i, I wanted to ask. i mean you get I'll, I'll talk about 93 and then 94 but 92 you beat hilltop in the regional by one and then you beat a very good uh program in convoy crestview in the regional final um and you end up losing to highland who goes on and beats uh gilmore academy in the finals do you feel like, I mean, in hindsight, it's always 2020. Did you feel good about uh, if you get by Highland that you could have got Gilmore Academy? Oh, I mean, there's no question. I watched that. Either one of us was going to beat Gilmore. So th- that, the state championship game was between us and Highland. I mean, that, 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 that's just the way it was. I mean, either one of us were going to win that state tournament, which made it a little harder because, you know, now you've got to live with that too, but it's, uh, you know, you just, when you get down there, you just don't know. I, I often, and what happened was Kurt, I think was that put pressure on us. And the next two years that we went down the state, we came down the immediately the next two years, we were undefeated. We were ranked number one in the state. So we hadn't lost a game both years and we came down and I think there was pressure that I was never able to relieve from our kids, not only just because they hadn't lost the game, because they were feeling the pressure of what happened. And I often think to myself sometimes, if we had won that Berlin Highland game and won the state that year, which I think we would have if we had to beat Highland, I think we might have won three years in a row because I thought the next two years, we were the best team down there, and we just got beat by a team that stepped up and played a great game against us. I would definitely agree with that sentiment. I mean, sometimes, it, you know, you maybe you felt like you, I mean, definitely were in position to win the game in 92, and then, as you mentioned, 93, 94, you come down undefeated. And in 93, you got a, a, a guard that's been there before as a sophomore, um, now he's a junior, Aaron Hutchins. Um, 
and, and he has a, a very good game there against Fort Laramie, but they end up beating you 43-42 in the semis, and then they go on to win yeah. the state championship. Easily. Yeah. T- tell, me, tell me about that game because, I mean, the low scoring, 43-42, Hutchins yeah. scores okay. over half your point – or. Yeah, over half your points. So, what, what was that? What was that game like? Well, we we had played them earlier in the year. We played Port Laramie every year, and Port Laramie is a great program. That was their, I think, third state championship. They had a great coach, and uh, so they knew us. They had played us before. And the other thing that Fort Laramie could do was they were always a great defensive team. So you weren't going to score easy, and you weren't going to run on them. And they ran the flex offense. I don't know if you remember the flex offense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they could run that offense in their sleep. I mean, they could run that thing, and you couldn't, you, you know, they could take time off the clock. And so his theory was they were going to, you know, take time off the clock by possessing the ball. And, uh, and that's what they did. They did a great job of it. They made it tough to score. And uh, late in the game, we were able to get our pressure into the game, and we came back. I mean, we were they, they were up by seven or eight late, and we pressured and got the ball, got the ball back to one-point game, and then stole the ball and had the ball one last time. We gave Aaron Hutchins the ball at the top of the key, and he had spread. We had a spread court for him. He went one-on-one, and their defender did a great job of pushing him not letting him into the paint, pushed him to the sideline where he had a shot at the buzzer. He met, we missed the shot. Uh, we had a really good inside player by the name of Dwight McNeil who went up to tip the ball. He had a wide open tip of, a, of the missed shot, but he had broken his thumb and it, his hand was in like a semi cast and he just couldn't control it like he wanted to. And so the ball didn't go in and, and we got beat. And I, I think of all the ones that we lost on that to me was the toughest one because I thought we were clearly better. I don't think I did a great job of coaching that game and uh, of trying of getting the momentum to speed up a little more. I didn't do that. And I thought they did a great job of just slowing us down with their defense, but mostly with their offense by just running that, that, that offense and that flex until we just, you know, you just got tired of seeing it. They were great. They were good at it. And I think you mentioned that you played them in a regular season, and, and sometimes that is a big feather in the cap for a team that may be not as talented as you guys, and then to play you a second time, maybe with a little bit more confidence that they could win the game. Um, but you said that that was the toughest of the defeats um, because I, I think you go on and win the state championship in 93 as well right. if you get by that game. I agree. I agree with that. And then you go, you, if you don't know, after state tournament games, and I'm, I'm sure it was like this in 93 as well, you have to do all the media stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, after 92, here, here you go again in 93. What, what is it like when you have to, you know, here we go again, got to answer the questions. And I know it's part of the job, but. Um, you, you know, you're not making Coach K like money to, to, to answer these questions after, you, you know, you spend all this time with these um, 15, 16, 17, eight year old kids. And it just it's, it's heartbreaking for the kids and the community yeah, and you. Is. 
Well, the the press conferences were not that hard for me. I mean, I I, I just wanted to go in, give credit where credit was due, and uh, the the hard part was going in the locker room with the kids, you know, because they 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 to get that far, you got to have a bunch of kids who really want, and uh, so those locker rooms were were difficult, you know, and I found myself trying to pick kids up. And I didn't really have a lot of time to worry about how I was feeling. I was more worried about, you know, the, the, the guys in the locker room. And so we just tried to keep our chins up and, and uh, talked about coming back and finishing the job the following year. Did it make it any easier? I know it's, it's never easy, but did it make it any easier seeing Aaron there and knowing that he was going to be back next year for another shot at this? Well, we went to state three years in a row. And Aaron had four different starters around him in every one of those years. That that just gives you an idea of how good he was. Yeah, that, that's crazy. He, he he was that, and he he was one of the most remarkable basketball players I ever I ever watched. And I was lucky to have him and to coach him. But I mean, we had other good players. It was a talent time. But uh, he had four different starters with him. Every every game, but we the, the next year, senior year, we were undefeated again against a good schedule, and we made it back down the state. And uh, we wanted to correct the mistakes we had made in the past and win that game. Unfortunately, it was another kind of heartbreaking finish in a basketball game. So Aaron ends up winning the 1994 Mister Basketball. Um, you guys roll into the state tournament. Um, you're 26 and 0 heading into the uh, Youngstown Ursuline Championship game. But before that, in the um, state semifinals, you get Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers there. Uh, so you get kind of a, you know, get your feet wet a little bit, uh, get back to to St. John Arena and get get a win under your belt. Um, I think it was 57-49 over Bloom Carroll. So then you get That's a into tough game. yeah, that was a that was a tough game. Tom, when you play against a Tom Petty team, it is never going to be uh, an easy game. Tom was one of the great masters on the sideline there for a long, long time at Bloom Carroll. I wanted to go back to this real quick because you mentioned your game with Fort Laramie in 93 and Dan. Uh, you know, Dan's making a return to the bench this year. That's what I hear. Is there any chance <laughs> – is there any chance that you might be making a return to the bench? I would say the chances of that are, at, you know, perfect zero. <laughs> no. You know, I, I, I had to ask because I know Dan's he's, he's coming back to St. Mary's for one more round. Uh, he must be a glutton for punishment. Well, he is. Now, he, he had some great teams at uh, Fort Laramie, and then he had a couple of great teams at New Knoxville as well. Oh, but my goodness. He's yeah. one of those guys that just uh, wants to, you know, he, he loves to coach, and he's done a great job at it. Uh, he and I butted heads for many years. We scheduled each other. They were always tough games. And, uh, uh, you know, I saw him. He's also a guidance counselor, so I, would, I'm a guy, I was a guidance counselor at LCC. So we'd see each other at different places all the time. And uh, I always liked playing against his teams, and it was always challenging. You know, like an athlete, I think really good athletes, great athletes, they want to play against other great athletes. They don't want to dominate. They want to test themselves. And I always felt that 
way when I was coaching. I always wanted to coach against really good teams and really good programs and coaches because it was a test, you know, and I, I, I liked that. I was, that was one of the juices for me in coaching. So back to 94, you, like I said, you guys get past a tough blue Carroll team there in the semifinals and then um, another wild ending 55-53 to Ursuline, but this ending was was just another uh, crazy finish. And I, I've heard this story from the other sideline because uh, back in March I did a, a 25th anniversary series uh, with all the, the four winners uh, of that state tournament, and I had on um, the coach from Ursuline to talk about that game and just – their season, which was, I mean, a crazy season to begin with, the way, you know, it started and they were they were 500 and, you know, the run they get on. And then talk to me about the finish of that game because, it, it, again, like I said, it was another crazy finish. Well, we, we, were, we were really good that year. And in the first half, we had, we had beaten a lot of teams by halftime that year. That's how dominant we were. And in the first half of the championship game, we rolled out to about a 15, 16 point lead in the second half. And it just felt like this is what was going to happen. But before halftime, they closed it. They closed it to like seven. They, they scored like the last eight or nine points. And from that point on, it was a grueling game back and forth. But we did kind of take a little bit of control with about three or four minutes left in the game. And uh, they came back on us. They were very athletic. They were much more physical and bigger than we were inside. And, uh, um, but we had the lead, and they were going to have to foul us. And so we made sure that we got the ball in the hands of Aaron Hutchins, who was a career 90% free throw shooter here and, and at Marquette. And uh, he went to the line three times in the last, like, 45, 50 seconds of the game. He missed the front end of three one and ones in a row, just crushed him. And they were able to, you know, come back with just uh, just a few seconds, like less than 10 seconds to go in the game, maybe eight. We were on the line again for a one and one. And uh, all we had to do was make a couple. Uh, the shooter missed the free throw and the ball bounced right in front of my bench. Well, as would have it, many, many players we had a player who, for some reason, thought we were behind by one point. Now, why that is, you, you just don't know what's in the minds of not just high school players, but sometimes college players will call a timeout, like the famous timeout, or even last year when the Cleveland Cavalier didn't know the <laughs> Well, my player fouls the ball, and he puts their shooter on the line with a one-and-one one down one. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking at him and I go, what are you doing? And he goes, aren't we down one? And I think, no, that's my fault. You know, he should have known that. I, I, I look back, maybe I could have called a timeout, but I didn't want to ice my shooter. You know, you, you do that. So their player goes down and shoots, makes the first one to tie the game. Now there's only one and a half seconds left on the clock. And so if we hadn't fouled him, that game was over. But then he misses the second free throw. We had them boxed out, but they were big. Somebody takes the ball on the miss, one of their bigger players, and kind of throws it at the basket, and it's a miss. But the other big player on the other side of the bank board catches it and tips it in. 
So we lose the game literally at the buzzer. So you got to give them a lot of credit. They uh, had a, uh, I think they were the state championship with a worst record in history, but that's very deceptive because they played a great schedule and they didn't get their best players on the court, I think, until semester because of grades. And uh, But they were a really good basketball team. But it was another game I really felt like we should have won if we'd have just kind of taken care of business in the last few seconds. So, so we kind of shot ourselves in the foot in that one and, and, and missed our opportunity to win the state championship. Another member of that 1994 team was uh, Matt Tabler, who you guys – might know as the uh, as a head coach at the Lima Perry in 2017, he got those guys to the state tournament. And right. That was kind of a just an unbelievable scenario. Um, tragedy struck. They end up getting to the state, and it was just a a, a great story um, that started in tragedy. Could you speak on that a little bit? Sure. Uh, Matt Tabler was my he didn't start, but he played a lot. He was mm-hmm. like a six man in, in his junior year. Then his senior year, he started all year. But he became a head coach at Lima Perry, which really did not have much of a basketball tradition or past. And over the years, he has built that program up. And uh, he had a very good friend who just was a neighbor of mine. And uh, in the sectional tournament, uh, after a prize, they won the sectional and they were coming, I think it was a district. Yeah, it was the district. They had just won the first district taking the school's history. And that Monday after practice, their Matt's top assistant on the varsity was dropped. And uh, uh, the, the roads were icy, and he slid into a bridge on an overpass over I-75, and he was killed. And so here they lost a coach, uh, very loved, uh, you know, a really beloved coach. And this team had to play with that on their through the regionals. So the first game of the regionals, there was a chair next to Matt where he they, you know, they left that chair empty for the, the coach that had been killed. So they, you know, they played through that heartbreak and they came down at the state. They didn't play great at state, but uh, they got there for the first time in school history. And he's, he's, he's had some really good teams. I mean, he really has. He's, um, he's, um, uh, uh, done a really great job of building that that program up. A terrific he, coach. Yeah, that was just that was just a a great great story. I mean, it's a side note what happened once they got to the state tournament. They got like you said, they didn't play extremely well. I think they um, Wellington had a superior size advantage on them, which which hurt as well. But. Nonetheless, what a what a great story um, and, and a great job that he's done there. They had another outstanding season this past year as well. Um, he's got he's got great young players coming. So uh, Perry Perry has a chance to be at state in one of the next two or three years. They lost a really good player, a young player of the Lima Senior High, who started at point guard for Senior High as a freshman last year. And if uh, he had been in that program, I, Perry could have been a really dominant but they've got good players I think they're going to be really good the next few years yeah and in that little cluster that time frame there 92 you guys were there and so was uh Greg Simpson and Lima Senior was there at the state tournament as well which um if you know you know kind of the makeup of Lima when you get two schools at the state tournament 
I mean, that's that's pretty impressive feat. Yeah, we, and, and I've mentioned many times that uh, basketball in Lima is good. I mean, we get after it up here. And uh, we've had five Mr. Basketballs, four, four players have won five Mr. Basketballs in the state of Ohio. Uh, and for a city that is the size of Lima, that's a, that, you know, that's a, that's a rare feat. And, uh, and it continues because uh, like Lima Senior High right now is, is going to be very, very strong next year. And I see where Akron St. Vincent's actually drops a division to division two, which mm-hmm. kind of opens the door a little bit for Lima Senior because last year that beat them in the regional finals. So I think Lima Senior High has an excellent chance of getting to state next year. Well, that's a good segue to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. So a couple, a few years go by, and this is kind of, I mean, not in, in Lima, but the, for the state, this is kind of a forgotten trip that you made to the state tournament there in 2000. Um, this is an interesting run. You get by Ontario and double overtime, and then you beat CVCA by two uh, to get to the state tournament. And then once you get to the state tournament, you end up losing another close game, 51-50. This is Adam Stolle, Jason Stump, and those guys. Right. Uh, You lose to Jamestown Greenview. But the segue here is is if you do end up getting by Greenview, um, you get a shot at a young freshman and a a group of his his buddies there at Akron St. Vincent St. Mary's and – some of you guys probably heard of it, LeBron James, yeah. uh, and they ended up uh, the little man Drew Joyce went nuts there in the state finals, hit seven threes against Greenview, um, and then they end up you know running away with that. But what do you remember about that 2000 state tournament? Well, the big thing I remember about that is I I I thought we were going to win that game. I I think I was overconfident. I had gotten a ton of scouting reports on. Akron, St. Vincent, St. Mary's. I felt like I knew him inside and out. I was never going to let Drew Choice take a three. And uh, so we played that first game, and it was a, a – Greenview played great. And it was close all the way to the end. And uh, we were up by one point very late in the game, and they fouled Adam Stolle, our point guard, who ended up – had a nice career at Capitol. He's a great free-throw shooter. <laughs> And he's walking down to shoot the free throws. Uh, the uh, official saw blood on him and uh, on his leg. It was just a little bit of it. So he called timeout and made him leave the game. In that era, in that, at that time, if you, if you had to remove a guy for blood, you couldn't put him in until the clock started, even if I called the timeout. So I had to take my best player off the free throw line down one point are up one point with like nine, 10 seconds left in the game. So that game I had six, I only played six players the whole game. And uh, uh, the other one was already at the bench, had gone in for somebody. I couldn't change him. So I had to find somebody on my bench who had not played in the game who was cold. And I, I, you know, that's a tough thing to do to put a kid under that kind of pressure. So, I went to the huddle with my coaches and I said, this is what I'm going to do. I said, I'm going to go back in there and I'm going to kneel in front of the six players who haven't played yet. And I'm going to say, who wants to shoot this free throw? 
And the first kid, <laughs> the first kid that looks me in the eye is going to get to shoot that free throw. And so I did it. And I swear all six kids looked up to the rafters. <laughs> so, so I, I said, well, I, and I picked a guy, a, 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 a junior, a great young man who had a great senior year. But anyhow, he went out and he missed the free throw. And the problem was, I think the pressure and the tension was so much that when they came back down the court, he left his man to go double team the ball. I mean, we just had to make one defensive stand. There was just several, there wasn't a lot of time on the clock. It was ticking down. Just stay in front of your guy, but he left his man. And the guy that he went to double team passed the ball to the guy he was guarding, and he drove to the elbow, made a shot that basically won the game. We did get the ball back uh, with a, you know, three or four seconds left, but we couldn't get a shot off. And uh, so we lost that game, and I was so mad at that rule that when the season was over, I called Kansas City, and I asked about, what do you have to do to get the blood rule changed to the college rule, which is you can call a timeout, get it fixed, you can get the guy back in the game. And I talked to the a director there and the secretary, and it took two years, but they changed that rule. And two years later, they changed it in the the, the gal that took my information, who I wrote the information to and, and, and lobbied, she called me and told me that in the Kansas City offices, they were calling it the Stolly rule, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, you know, didn't help me. I am any, but it was just it was just another, you know, an unusual way to lose a game by one point. And it meant, again, that now we had all these losses. And then that, that became kind of the story of oh, LCC. You know, you, they're going to lose the game. You know, they're they're going to lose close games at state, which was sad because that team, if you look at the sectional districts and regionals, every almost every game was real close. We won by just like one point or two points and had to make a defensive stand at the end of every one of those games. But uh, we got down to state and it kind of reversed on us. And we did not get to play. Uh, we did not get to play LeBron James. And I really, that, that's one of my big regrets. I would love to have coached against that team. What, what was your scouting report for him, number 30? Because he was wearing 32 that year. Well, what was your scouting report for 32? Our scouting report was to, was to force him to shoot, you know, to, 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 to stop the, the drives with double teams and to let him shoot. But no one was to leave Drew Joyce alone. And uh, I actually had some friends up in the Akron area who coached up in that area. And I had scouting reports, and I had them down pretty good. Now, I remember watching that game the next day. We stayed and watched that game. And I was amazed. I, I don't know if we could have beat them. I think we would have competed. But I, I, he was just a freshman. And I remember the thing that grabbed me immediately was when he had the ball and made a move. He gobbled up more space on one move, on one step. He would catch the ball in the wing, and his first step would take him almost into the paint. Like most guys have a half dribble after they make their move, and then it takes them a couple dribbles to get there. He was so athletic in getting, taking up space on the floor offensively. He just... It was amazing to me. I, I, I just marveled at it. And I remember thinking he was the most special player I'd seen. And he was only a freshman. Now, and guys, guys weren't doing that at the time with those elongated steps like that. 
right. like you were talking about there. I mean, that was unheard of, especially a kid 14, 15 years old. Right. And, and then, um, so in the championship, they, like, I, like uh, we mentioned, they, they end up beating Greenview and I can remember, um, and I don't know how much of the, the semifinal game that you were able to watch, but I believe they were playing Canal Winchester, which was a, a Division Three at that time. And it was the first time I ever remember LeBron um, with a chase down block. And he caught this guy, and like you said, those long strides. It, must, it took him like three steps to get back down the floor. And he pinned this ball up by the square – and I said, man, that is one of the most impressive things I've ever yeah. seen in a high school game. Yeah, it was a combination of a, a superior athleticism, which continues to be a, a factor, with skill, you know, taking the time to really learn how to play the game. And then he had that mental aspect, even when he was younger. I, I, I was so impressed with him when I heard him speak, even as a high schooler, and, uh, and the, just the way he – he talked he was so mature and so intelligent and uh, I, I just he was just one of a kind so again another stretch of, of time goes by so you, 2000 to to the final season there in 29 20 2009 2010 which was your last year in between there was there ever a time where you thought you know what I, I just I don't think we're ever going to get back there well it, it sort of, I, I do remember uh, the first year the shot opened up, you know, our first four state tournaments were in the St. John arena. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting with my wife in in 1999 and watching the the first games that stayed in the shot. And I looked at it and I said, you know, you know, I, re- I really wish we could get a team down here to play just so I could say I had a team play at the shot. I said, I'll tell people 20 years from now that I, coached in St. John's and I even they're not even going to know what I'm talking about and, <laughs> right. and, and then here the next year we're in state and we didn't have necessarily an overpowering team I, it wasn't one of those that had state written all over it and so uh you know it's it, it just you just never know and every team I had even though we went through some I, I'd say average years in the 2000 to 2010 every one of those teams I could envision playing it at state. And I think that's what coaches can do. Good coaches can do that. They can see, you know, they can look at it and see, you know, if this happens and that happens and this happens, this kid does this and we can be good enough to play at state. But when we did go, when I did go to state, I used to like to sit and watch teams play in my division and honestly assess, could we play with these teams? You know, could we beat this team? Could we play with them? Could we compete with them? And uh, over that course of time from 2000 to 2010, I had two or three teams that I thought were good enough to play at state that had trouble getting out of the sectional and district. We just kind of went into a slump. And so the last three years of my coaching, I actually was thinking about retiring. I just thought somebody else should do this. I, I'm not getting these teams as far as they should go. And, uh, and uh, so I often said that, I talked about, you know, I thought about retiring for a year. Then I started to talk about it a little bit to my wife, a couple of close friends. And then the third year, I just decided I am going to retire. You know, regardless of what happens, this is my last year. So it took me three years to kind of reach to that point. And 
as fate would have it, the 2009-2010 season, um, as opposing what had happened in the past, things did kind of line up. You end up, you win your 500th game that year, and uh, I think you beat, didn't you beat Delphi St. John's yeah. to win your 500th game? Yeah, that, so, that was just, that, that was, you know, what happened that year, Curtis, we came out of the gate in December and we're three and four. Mm-hmm. We, we were three and three. And then right after Christmas, we played Liberty Benton, who was number one in the state. Aaron Kraft played for them. And we went up there and played them. And they, they beat us by probably 10, 12 points. It was, it, we did not play well that day. And I remember bringing the kids back to LCC and going into chapel, sitting them down. And trying to figure out how am I going to keep this team? I knew we were pretty good, but we we, we just needed time. And, but they were really down, and it, we were three and four. And you know, I just, just tried to preach resiliency. Just tried to tell them, hey, look, we're good. We're going to be good. Just don't don't lose faith in each other. Be patient. We're going to die. And I had to use patience with a couple of players who had not played well, who ended up playing really well in time. So. We started to win, and that really after that we never lost a game. But that that Delta St. John's game was a great game because it was our 500th game against a great rival. And that night, I, I uh, after the game is always on a Sunday, and uh, I was with my wife in bed, and I said to her, I said, Danny, isn't this great? My last year of coaching, and I went against Delta. It doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just wait! Oh, that it was going to get a lot better than that. But at that time, all really that was enough. That was just like a a great feeling that I could beat, you know, win that game in that in that series. And and uh, but there was more to come. So wasn't it fitting? You guys get on this run after the three and four start, and, and I think this is just so fitting that in that tournament run. You beat in consecutive games St. Henry. You avenged the loss to Liberty Benton, who I think was undefeated at the time. Number one in the state. Undefeated, undefeated, number one in the state. You end uh, Kraft's career there, a great career there at Liberty Benton. And then you knock off Ottawa Glandorf, and this is in consecutive games that you do this. Right. Well, that was a district tournament that I don't think anybody gave us a real chance. I mean, you know, because we were considered the third best, third best team there, but we were ready for Liberty Benton. You know, we really felt like we had laid an egg against them, and that that that's when uh, we had a point guard by the name of Desi Kirkman, mm-hmm. a great football player, went on to play, have a great career at Wittenberg in football. Uh, he outplayed. Uh, Kraft that night. Uh, Kraft did not have a good shooting night, had a number of turnovers, and, and Kirkman just raised his game to a different level. He was phenomenal that night, and we 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 were neck and neck until about the beginning of the fourth quarter, and then we kind of ran away from them, and it was just like a big boost, and I looked at my longtime assistant, Ron Williams, and we kind of looked at each other like, hey, something's happening here, but we knew we had to get past OG. And OG is great in the tournament. They have this great crowd that they bring. It's an amazing crowd. They just fill the place, and they're loud, and we're playing at Elida Fieldhouse. So we knew we had our hands full in that second game with OG. So you end up beating 
like I said, St. Henry, Liberty Benton, OG in consecutive games. Um, you talked about Desi Kirkman, and he had a great state tournament as well, right. um, especially in the uh, semifinal win over Chesapeake. Another guy on that roster, um, you had another Stolly, Austin Stolly on that team, but a guy that most Ohio State people are quite familiar with yeah. and, and um, probably not in the best of ways. Uh, Ty O'Connor uh, was one of your uh, – is he a sophomore on that team? He was a sophomore, and in that OG game, we were we were behind twenty six to seven in the first quarter and a half of that game. And That's I a good start <laughs> against OG. So yeah, I call a timeout, and I can't hear myself think. And I'm because we were very young. You know, we 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 played four sophomores and two juniors. And I, I'm looking at these guys and thinking, oh, they, this is this is going to be tough for them. You know, the crowd is just screaming at us. And I looked in their eyes, and there was no panic. And a lot of that was a guy like O'Connor, even at an early age, he was a competitor. He, he They were just mad. So we got it within, like, nine at halftime. And close enough to talk about it. We came out. We tied it at the end of the – uh, third quarter, they went back ahead in the fourth quarter, and then another sophomore, Billy Tatlinger, hit a big three to put us up in that game. And then we, and then Ty O'Connor, another sophomore, made six straight free throws in the last minute, and we beat OG. So now we beat the two, you know, seeded teams at the district, and we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. So you get by Chesapeake there in, in the in the state semifinals, fifty nine forty eight, and they were making their first state tournament appearance, a, a very, very good program down in Southeast Ohio. And I felt bad because, uh, well, Norm, Norm got his turn in the barrel there in 2009 with Oak Hill winning the state championship. But Norm Person had some great teams in Chesapeake, but Ryan Davis was the guy that got them to the state tournament 2010. Desi Kirkman had 22 in that game, and you win that game. And then you get a... Uh, a scrappy uh, and tough Orville team with uh, a pedigree and, and athletics for winning. But I wanted to talk about something, and we talked about how things kind of line up. In 2010, I'll tell you a, a brief story, a side note here. Um, and, and this is – I was doing rankings for whatever that – water cooler talk rankings uh, at the time, and the team that I had – uh, number one, pretty much all season that year was Cincinnati Taft. Absolutely. If you, if you, if you remember them being oh, absolutely. Uh, in Division Three at the time, and then they, yep. they, come, they come back and run away with it uh, in 2011. But in 2010, um, all those guys um, were sophomores. I mean, Adolphus Washington looked like he was 35 when he was in seventh grade. But um, I remember because uh, – uh, Mark Mitchell, their head coach there at the time at Taft, it was a buddy of mine, and and he texted me um, during the week of the uh, regionals, I believe it was, and he was asking me because he knew I lived in the central Ohio area, and he was, you know, he was all worried about Bishop Reedy, and I'm thinking to my, I didn't say it to him at the time, but I'm sitting there thinking, why is he texting me about Bishop Reedy? Like, I mean, this is a and I eventually told him, I said, hey, look, you, you know, you hold Grassle in check and, and you're going to win this game by, I'm thinking, you know, at least 15 or 20 points. 
And Grassel, long story short, ends up, I think, going for 37, and they upset Taft, and, and Reedy ends up being the team uh, that advances to the state tournament. And I was just in complete shock yeah. uh, that Taft lost that game because those guys were young. Um, their grades said that they were young, but they had played together and won so many big travel tournaments together. Those guys knew each other like the back of their hand. And were you a bit surprised when you did – were they a team that you thought you might see yes. down there? I think everybody thought Taft would be down there. And my understanding was that the game they lost, they really shouldn't have lost. But late in the game, they had some, uh, they had some problems with the bench. They had some you know, tempers flared. Uh, it affected how they played down the stretch and, uh, and Reedy, Reedy beat them. And I watched Reedy play against Orville in the semifinals, and I was impressed with Reedy. I mean, they were a team that, was, that, that they had hit their peak exactly at the right time. And uh, I, they had an excellent chance to beat Orville, and, uh, and they just kind of ran out of gas in that game. But I was I was surprised, and then the next year in 2011, like you say, I you know I go down and see if we can play against teams. I was watching Taft play that game, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm glad those guys didn't make it to state the previous year because if they had, we would have had our hands full. Yeah, and those guys um, did that as juniors, and then when they were seniors, uh, they did end up getting bumped up to uh, Division Two. Right. And I ended up seeing their last game um, as a unit together. It was in a regional final down at Kettering Fairmont. They lost to uh, a really, really good Dayton Dunbar team that ended up winning the state tournament, uh, going undefeated that year. But that was a really good group with those Taft guys. But nonetheless, you guys are there, and your opponent is Orville. Uh, Orville was – uh, very good at the same time you were back in the early 90s with uh, Marcel Denson and Ronald Ray and those guys, and um, they won some state tournaments uh, back then. But you guys see them in 2010, and you guys got a pretty comfortable lead in that game. Were you feeling pretty good about things? You mean the Orville game? Yeah, the, yeah, the Orville game, Yeah, the, the championship well, game. We, we didn't get off to a good start, but the second half we kind of took control of it a little bit. And it was a fairly close game until late in the third quarter. We kind of stretched it out to like seven. Mm -hmm. And then to start the fourth quarter, O'Connor made a three from one corner. Austin made a three from another. O'Connor made another jump shot. And all of a sudden, we're up 14 points. But the problem was there's still eight minutes left to go on the clock. I mean, there's like seven minutes to go on the clock. So there's a lot of time left. And at that point, Orville began pressing and, and really physically pressing us. And, and uh, uh, it, was, it was very effective. Uh, our guards turned the ball over a number of times. We weren't used to being pressed because we were guard heavy. And uh, we just, I think the pressure got to us. I remember looking at that scoreboard and the 14 point lead melded to 12 and then 10 and then eight. And at the five minute mark, it was like six and then it get down to four, and we were scoring a little bit in between there, and then it got down to two, and then all of a sudden it was a one-point game inside of a minute. And now you got to remember what we've been through down there. Right. So we've got fans sitting up there in the stand, and they're all praying, and they're all going, holy smokes. And I'm looking, and I'm going, this can't be happening. 
And I remember at one point, I didn't remember this, but Ty O'Connor reminded me. With about 45 seconds, I, I got my time out. I was, I was very angry with the officiating. I never get mad at officials. But I thought the game turned into a hockey game. I mean, it was really physical. And if they had called the entire game like that, we would never have had a chance. But I, I so anyhow, I, I called a timeout and I looked at the kids and I just made them breathe. He said, Ty said, you know what you did say? You told us to breathe through our nose, blow through our mouths. You made it do it. You never said a thing about basketball. You just kept saying poise and confidence, poise and And they blew and they, and they went out and, Ty made two huge free throws at the end of that game. And then at, and with just, uh, we were up one with about 15 seconds to go, and Desi made two big free throws. And uh, they had a chance to tie it at the end of that game with three. And they called the timeout with 14 seconds left to go. And they ran a play. Their best player had fouled out previously to stop the clock. So we knew who we were not going to let shoot that three. And we double teamed him off the last pick. He threw it to their center, who threw up a three, and the ball bounced off the rim. And I'm looking at that, and I'm going, my God, we've won state. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it was like, you know, it was, people talk about like a monkey off your back. It really wasn't as exactly like that. But I will admit there was a cathartic effect to it. And I'm not sure that if we had won that game, by 14 or 13 points, it would have had the same feeling because all those people in the stands and all those people watching on TV from live and we had people tuned in all over the country, listening on the radio and stuff who had been through that were emotionally drained with when that score slipped down to one point. So when we won that game, it was a, a release. It was like a cathartic release. Um, just oh my god and uh, we won it and so it was just a it was like one of the greatest feelings I've ever had knowing that we you know that it was my last game my players didn't know that and most of our fans didn't I had I had told a couple of our assistant coaches and but and my wife knew it obviously but it was just such a, a great way. I mean, it was just a great feeling to win, win the state finally after all those tough, tough losses down there. Very few, if anybody, you know, experienced the heartache you did, um, especially at St. John Arena. Do you remember what the first thing, you know, after you, hey, we did it. Do you remember the first thing you thought uh, on that day there when, when you realized, hey, we, we did it? Well, I, I remember getting up and I marched towards my family. I had a big family, eight brothers and a sister, and they were all at the games. And my wife was sitting up there. And so I kind of marched to them with my hands up. And I remember it, that. It's the first time in my career that I did not go directly to the other coach. And I don't even, you know, it just, it just didn't occur to me to do that. So I went over and raised my hand up and Janie came down on the court too. And afterwards, but it was just such a, it was just a, just a, an emotional release that we had done it. And I remember looking at my sister, Ron Williams, because the whole tournament, we were just looking at each other and saying, man, is this really happening? And it was almost like uh, the gods of basketball said, okay, let's give this guy a break. <laughs> <laughs> let's let him win one of these games. Let's, He's endured enough. It, but let's make it tough. 
And so it was, it was just, it was great. But then, you know, we, you know, we posed for pictures and I got to hang my wife's, you know, around her neck and give her a kiss down there on the court. But then the whole time I'm thinking, I've got to tell these guys what I'm going to do. Cause I knew I was going to say it in a press conference and we were young, very young team. And, uh, so I went in to the locker room and I, you know, everybody was happy. We held hands, we said a prayer. And then I said, I have to tell you guys something. And I couldn't get it out. I just couldn't get it from my heart to my throat out, out, out of my mouth. And I, and I started crying and, and they, they knew something was wrong because I, I, it was, and I said, listen, this is my last game. And so there was a lot of tears in our locker room. And I just kind of got enveloped in a, a big hug with them. And it, was, it felt good. But I just, I just, it was just a really, really tender moment. But it was a tough moment. Then I went into the press conference and answered all the questions. And at the very end, they said, well, that's it. And I said, well, no, I got one more thing to say. And the one more thing was that it was my last game. And uh, a lot of fans were listening to that video and found out about it, too. So. It, it was nice. It was just like a, a perfect way. I often said I wish every coach could have the experience of coaching a game at state and, uh, and winning a state championship because of, of the, you know, it just you work so hard for something. And when it finally happens, that one meant a lot. If we'd have won a bunch of state tournaments, you know, three or four earlier, obviously it wouldn't have meant as much. But that one being in my last game, it was just like a storybook ending. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't you couldn't write this up any better than it was. That the the way it ends, you end up having to hold on. Um, and, and in so many of those games in the past, it went the other way. This time, it, it goes your way. Final game. You know, from a selfish personal note, I the only thing, the only regret I have about that moment for you is I I kind of wish that you could have walked off the court with your arms up and it be at St. John arena. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would have been interesting. Yeah. I would like to have had that experience too. I, my, my youngest son, Pat, we, he goes to state with me every year. He's in his, he's a graduate of Dayton university and he works in it, but we go down to the state and I was talking about St. John's and he said, well, I've never been in St. John's couple of years ago we were down there I guess you're kidding so I walked him over to St. John's Arena and they let us in and I walked around and we walked out on the court and stuff and and uh, and it struck me that he'd never you know he was born in 89 the year we went to the state the first time but he had no memories of it and uh, you know it it makes you realize that you know things change I mean basketball it, it, like all sports is a history of change. It's constantly evolving. Mm -hmm. Not only the way it's played, the way it's coached, the way it's viewed, the way people either, you know, the fan appreciation for it. It's, there's a constant change to athletics in the twenties and thirties. And even into the forties, the most popular sports were baseball, boxing, and horse racing, you know, I mean, yeah. look, look where that's gone. And so, you know, people who think that basketball is just going to remain on top of the world with high school bat forever, it, 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 there's an evolution to things. There's constant change. And basketball has gone through some dramatic changes. Just in the 10 years that I have been out of high school basketball, 
there's been some pretty dramatic, you know, changes on the on the scene of basketball. Uh, some of it reflected in attendance figures for the state tournament. And, you know, it's just so I, after 10 years, I've evolved out of it a little bit. I still love it. I still watch it. But uh, I appreciate that the game may not look the same 20 or 30 years from now from people who are watching it. It's just it's an interesting aspect. Yeah, that's one, you know, one thing I wanted to finish up on. Um, when you guys were in your heyday there in the, in the 90s, I mean, it, those games at St. John Arena, I mean, <laughs> you there was like an industry for scouting for, you know, kids would go down there and get, you know, a book of tickets and stand outside and, you know, try to sell these tickets um, because it was, you know, seats were hard to come by at St. John Arena. I mean, every game was must-see and were in a totally different era with social media and the globalization of the, of the world. What do you see being the biggest um, down – fall to attendance at the state tournament? Well, my view of the thing is that I'm not sure there is there's a correction to be made that's going to change any of that. You know, I just think it's... it's. I would agree. And, I, you know, people say, well, if they just lower the prices of their tickets or if you just combine the games, you know, if you do that or you do that. And I give the OHSA a lot of credit for really trying, you know, to keep this thing alive. But the fact of the matter is the interest in the game is waning. The interest in the game in some areas, especially I think in, in bigger cities, is, is, is intense. But I think the, the heart and soul of the attendance over the years were just those generations that loved basketball, those communities, even the small communities that just – you know, they lived and died by their basketball. That's all changed. I mean, there's two more, there's more things going on for them to do. There's just a lot, there's other things in their lives. The basketball is, doesn't have the same <clears throat> stature that it had for many years in a lot of communities. So, and I don't think that gets any better as, you know, my generation and the generation after it that were basketball crazy, you know, as they, you know, get older, the next generations, I, I just don't see it there. It, as basketball gets better, I mean, the athletes are better. They're just better basketball players now than they were 10 years ago. But it doesn't mean because they're better that the fans are going to come back. Now, you have a young LeBron James play in that state, then you're going to get a full house. I think our our attendance was, I think, four, just over 14,000 back in 2010. I don't know that they've had a game since then that's had that many people. If there is, it's really close. And just every year people want, you know, they think the state should do something about it. I don't think they're, you know, like, oh, if they just uh, separate the tournaments, you know, that's going to increase attendance. No, it isn't. It's going to kill attendance even more. But uh, so I, I don't know that I have the answer to that. I, I do know that, uh, uh, I think uh, the, the OHSA is doing all they can at this point to try to in, encourage the attendance back up, but I think that's a tough job. I think that we're 100% on the same uh, page there, and, and I think um, 
the only you're going to the only way you're going to get an outlier um, from time to time is and I was telling a guy this today is you got to have somebody that's going to move the needle. Um, it's it's got to be a, a, a superstar like um, talent um, because people people are not going to come out for great teams anymore or a guy that's going to Miami of Ohio or Eastern Michigan or wherever. Um, we got spoiled in Ohio um, for a block of time there because we had um, we had LeBron James for four years. Uh, we followed that up with. OJ Mayo and Bill Walker down there at North College Hill. Indeed. And in that yeah, well, in that same time frame, you had that um incredible run there from Camp those great Camp McKinley teams right. with, with Raymar Morgan. And then you have the state's all-time leading scorer and um, you know, John Diebler, mm-hmm. uh, which people are gonna come to see that. And and also you throw in guys like Daquan Cook at Dayton Dunbar at that time. Um, so you had just a, a crop of um, generational talent and I think and you could correct me if I'm wrong but I think in 2015 they had a shot at that had Luke Kennard and Franklin got to the state they get beat in the regional final I, I think I think Luke would have put 17 or 18,000 in there because he was such a huge draw in the Dayton area but there were so many people around the state that wanted to see him play because there was so much buzz about him. He was a polarizing figure. And, and I think that he is one of those guys that could have moved the needle like that. Do you, would you agree with that? No, no, absolutely. I think it's a star. that goes all up now. You, know, you got to have a star to bring the people in. And, and that doesn't mean that we won't have that, you know, in the next couple of years, maybe a, a couple of great players I know for myself, I have an idea who the great players are in the state. I'm always rooting for them when I see they're in the regionals because I want to see them down at state. I think a lot of people do that. And, uh, but uh, it's, it's definitely an issue. And, uh, you know, every time I go there and I see two teams play to an empty, like this year was pretty bad. There was, a, I think, a championship game where there was a very low crowd. And... Uh, and they're often the it, it's the private school or the the charter school that that doesn't bring anybody to the the game, and then you've got an empty gym. So you know the call, the drumbeat starts for you know we need to separate these people out so we can get you know legitimate teams in, and then we'll, then the attendance will go back up. But I, I just I'm not sure that's the case. I really I, I don't I don't I don't think that will happen. I don't think so either. And again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you've been doing this as a long, long time at a high, high level. I think that there always has to be um, a villain involved. Um, If you're, when there's not a villain involved, I mean, you know, people complain about the Yankees and Red Sox being on TV all the time, but you know what happens in viewership when they're not involved? Viewership goes down. You know, right. you, you say you don't like those teams, the Patriots and people like that, but when they're not in it, there's less interest. I think, you know, and that's why Akron, St. Vincent, St. Mary's, you know, they're one of the parochials that will bring um, cra- a crowd of just maybe some neutral people because they want to see them lose because they're a villain. And, and I think right. 
if you separate the tournaments and you touched on this in one of your columns, so you separate private and, and public, well, then do you separate the publics that are bringing in kids from the other publics? So where, where does it stop? Right. And, uh, you know, when you, when you, it's it, it just what you, you're not going to, you're not going to solve the problem. If the OHSA had the ability to go in and move on schools that really are bringing athletes in that shouldn't, then that would solve the problem, but they can't. The litigation would be in courts forever and it would, they'd be bankrupt in a year trying to defend the lawsuits that they would have to face with that. So I can see what they're up against, but, uh, uh, it's it's still a great sport, you know. I, I still love the opportunity to go down and watch the state tournaments and the tournament play, especially, and and that'll never change. And I and there'll always be fans of basketball, but I just don't think the numbers are going to be there that uh, the, the previous generations have seen. And you know, maybe it'll make a comeback somewhere down the road, but at this point, it's evolving into a, kind of a different a different feeling. Yeah, I think the days of, you know, going down and expecting that every game or 10 out of 12 games is going to have 12,000 or 13,000, that's um, far-fetched at this point. And that's not saying that there's not going to be an outlier here and there, but I'm on the same page with you on that. But regardless, um, as a basketball guy, and I tell people this all the time, I like it. I'm going to go, and if there's 4,000 people there with me, there's 4,000 people, or there's 15,000. You know, I like it. That doesn't take away my enjoyment for the game or, or your enjoyment for the game. So um, I'm going to go and support the kids, the teams, and, um, you know, just what the OHSA is trying to do. But, Coach, man, you know, you are an unbelievable wealth of knowledge and history, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and – take a trip down uh, memory lane with us. No, it was, it's, it's been great, Kurt. I appreciate it. And uh, congratulations to you on your new edition. Uh, your life is about to change, you know. Well, you know what, Coach? He is uh, currently ranked 597th uh, in the country in the class of uh, – well, would he would be probably about a 2038 grad. So yeah, you, I was, was going to uh, ask you what his jump shot looks like. Yeah. Are you working on his jumper yet? You know what? He's probably going to be a, a, a non-passer, uh, <laughs> probably not a big assist guy. Yeah. So um, hopefully, hopefully uh, at 2038, you, you uh, you're, you're still attending. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the goal. <laughs> 